Philippine. We consider especially our gospel reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. And as we begin, I guess the first thing to talk about is this idea of a parable. A parable, you might remember from, um, if you had learned this definition maybe in Sunday school or as a young child, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And we're always looking for one specific point that Jesus is trying to make. One specific point of comparison. What is similar or what is different between this thing that he's talking about. The field, the farmer, the pearl, the treasure, the net. And what is similar between that and the spiritual truth that he is trying to convey. Matthew, Matthew chapter 13 is kind of a uh, unique chapter in that regard. Because he gives us two parables that he provides a whole lot of detail for. He gives us two parables that almost build on one another. Last week, the parable of the sower. The man went out to sow his seed in the field, and it fell on different, different areas of the field. And this week, that same idea, the man went out to sow seed in his field, and then he went away. And while he was sleeping, um, without his work, without his effort, the seed began to sprout. But there was something else going on. There was something else going on, and it's really this first, this first question. In a world where God is good, and where God is powerful, where God is holy, and God is just, why is there such a thing as evil? Because the field is the world. God is the one who plants his people, his church, his kingdom in this world. And the field that is the world has now among it both children of the kingdom of God and children of the devil. Those who would promote evil, those who would promote good. How did this happen? And so in the story, you kind of get together that there's a little bit more going on here. This, um, this man sowed seed and then while he was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And you're like, okay. But if you think about that, you can go to Menards or Home Depot, whatever your home, um, home improvement store of choice happens to be, and you can get grass seed, and they'll say it is 99.7% free from all weeds, and you know, with a fair degree of confidence, you can spread this grass seed on your lawn. You can't go the next aisle over and say, I want weed seed. Give me a whole bushel of, of dandelions. You have to order those online. <laughs> but you can't go to the next seat over, and, uh, or the next aisle over, like if you were to go up to the co-op in Ottawa Lakes, and you're looking for, for seed for your own field. And you can't just buy in one aisle wheat, and then in the next aisle over, bearded Darnell, which is probably the weed that Jesus is talking about. Because it doesn't work that way. The way it normally works is you buy good seed and you plant your seed, whether it is through a broadcast spreader of some sort, or through the invention of Jethro Tull, the person, not the band, um, called the seed drill, where he would drive along and in the seed drill, this basically a wagon pulled by horses or oxen or eventually a tractor, um, would drive along and would plant the seed into the ground and then cover it up. That was his invention. And I guess that's where the, uh, the band got their name, I'm not sure. But that's what you would do. 
You think to yourself, I want good seed in my field, I'm going to invest all of the time and all of my effort, I'll buy a little bit of seed now, and in three or four years, I can double, triple, quadruple the amount of seed that I have available. You can't buy weed seed. The enemy of this man, enemy, it sounds like such a strong word, enemy, business competitor, Man who put an offer in on the land and was told, no thanks, it's not for sale, no matter what your price is. Enemy. Somebody who had cornered the market, who had a strong leverage position on the commodities futures. The enemy of this man said, I have an idea. While he is building up his farm, his work, his business, and while he is doing all the work of investing in his machinery so that he can plant a good field and have excellent, an excellent crop, the man sat down and his servants brought in the weeds that they had pulled out. And this particular weed, bearded darnel, if that's the one that Jesus is talking about here, um, has always grown up alongside of wheat because it looks just like wheat, especially in the early stages. And in small, tiny doses, if you get a little bit mixed in there, it's not bad. It actually adds a little bit of flavor to food. But if there's too much, then it, uh, it's actually poisonous. And the Latin word is actually um, the same word as saying, this is the seed that makes you drunk. Because it kind of makes you giddy in your head and, uh, and, and it's poisonous to you. And so this man said to himself, well, I can't buy his land. I can't outcompete him on, um, on size of product or a size of the field or even on the produce from that field. But what I can do, I can sit down and I can collect the seeds of this weed. And given enough time, then I can also sow it in the field. And it's not just that the, that the weed would ruin the crop. Because if somebody heard, oh, you know, Farmer Brown has all sorts of bearded darnel in his grain, you don't want to buy that. His reputation would be spoiled because his crop was spoiled. But also, as these weeds start to grow up, it gives off a little bit of a, uh, a noxious poison to the wheat that is around it. As the weed tries to outcompete the wheat. It's a lot more farming than we typically talk about, even though we're still across the field from, or across the street from a field of soybeans, alternately planted with corn. And even though you may have passed a number of fields anyway into town today. But do you see what Jesus is getting at? In this one of the parables that builds on another parable, he describes for us exactly what life in this world will be like. And there might be a little bit extra detail if we think about this for just a minute. There might be a little bit of extra application for you and for me because it is that number one question, if God is good, if God is powerful, God is just and holy and almighty, then why is there evil in the world? And aside from that most basic of question, the next question after that, that just says, well, there is evil in the world, and you and I know that from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We know why. Jesus gives us a very vivid picture of it here. He gives us a very vivid picture of why. 
But the practical question, how shall we live? In this world that is God's field, in this world that is God's field where God says the harvest is coming, where God says that the weeds and the wheat will grow together until the harvest time, then they will be all pulled up and then separated. The practical question of how should we live? The theoretical question of why is there evil in the world? You know, it's helpful to think about, and we see where the source of evil is, that God does not cause evil, that God does not condone evil, but evil comes from Satan himself. But the practical question for you and for me, how should we live? Maybe we should just, just cloister ourselves together so that we can be um, totally separate from all of society. We should um, totally throw out the TV and, and just immerse our noses in the Bible every day, all day, and find some way of building a community so we don't have to interact with the world around us. In a world that looks like, from perhaps your perception, certainly from mine, that we are sliding further away from the, from the Word of God, or sliding further away from the object of words of Scripture, or even the objective um, natural law that is bound up in nature itself. And that looks like a reasonable answer. Maybe we should just get away from it all. We'll just find a place that is nice and quiet, doesn't have much crime in the area, doesn't have much influence for my family, doesn't have much impact on my life. Is that what Jesus is saying? As his answer to this practical question, how should we live? First answer that has often been given, uh, most prominently, I guess most recently, in Rod Dreher's book from about five years ago called The Benedict Option, where he said, you know what, Christians need to withdraw from society, and we need to build communities that are Christian communities, where Christian mechanics offer to work on Christian cars where Christian people care for one another in this sort of community that is cloistered away from the world. But that doesn't answer the practical question. And the servants say, why don't, we, why don't we just go pull up the weeds? That would make life so much easier. We'll go pull up the weeds, and then the wheat will be able to grow all on its own. There will be no ill effects of this noxious weed as it spreads its poison into the nearby plants. There will be no risk of contaminating um, contaminating the harvest. And the master answers, no. Because when you gather up the weeds, you might pull up the wheat along with them, let both grow together until the harvest. And then at the harvest time, the reapers will separate. And so that practical question of how should we live if Jesus has given us exact, precise insight into the nature of life in this world, that we live in this world that is a field, wheat and weeds together sown, and even more directly, the fact that you and I have been gathered together as God's people. And whether it's bearded Darnell or a child's best friend, whether they know it or not, the world will try to poison their faith. The influences of those who are around us will try to draw you away. And that's not a personal judgment, as if you know, your child's you know, fourth grade father has nefarious intent. 
as if to say, you know, this child is totally, you know, the spawn of Satan that's trying to draw my child away from Jesus. It's not necessarily thought out, but it's there. It's there. And in interaction with that, that question, how should we live when we know this is the way the world is? We consider that. A newsletter from friends. We consider that to think, if, if we take Jesus seriously, what he says about the weeds and the wheat, then what should we do? We can't cloister ourselves away. Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to see the world around us and have compassion for these people, while also being shrewd as snakes and wise as, um, as serpents and innocent as doves. So we can't be totally separate, and we wouldn't want that. He doesn't want that anyway. But we have to live in a world where not only the devil and his cohort of demons, and not only the attractions and the ideas from our sinful flesh, but even the ideas and the, the good friendships of the people that we know, do the work of the devil in trying to pull us away from Christ. Do we think of it that way? Or is that an overstatement? An overstatement. Pastor Hagen, well, it's, it's just, you know, they're friends at school, but they don't hang out outside of that. Pastor Hagen, um, I understand what you're saying, but this is what everybody has to do, and, and we need to make sure that our children are well-educated in this world, and we need to live in this world, Pastor Hagen. You can't just, what are you proposing? And that's the issue. Do you see it? The issue of we live in a world where Christ has planted you. And people that we know, are friends with, people that have eaten at our houses and vice versa, people with whom we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries, people that we are related to. The spiritual reality behind it is that is that their influence on our lives will work to separate you from your Jesus. And if you say it any less than that, then we miss what Jesus is saying here. And obviously we can't just say, well, in judgment, we are gonna, I'm going to root you out of my life. And we can't say, well, in judgment, we are just going to cover ourselves and get away from that, and we'll all hang out together, because the real issue isn't always just out there. It's also right here, within the human heart. Jesus doesn't get that in this parable, because the point of comparison is, how do you live in a world of evil? Even, especially, when that evil is not evil on the surface. It might be somebody who treats you very well. When that evil has a spiritual reality that makes you begin to doubt what your Jesus has said. And it's the steady drift that erodes at your faith until the day finally comes and the house crumbles with a great crash. How do you live in a world of evil? We know that it doesn't, we can't blame God for the evil. We know that God has said that judgment is coming, but it's not here yet. And we know that he has said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations by baptizing and by teaching. And 
if we look at this parable, it's distressing. Because what he is saying is that, um, spiritually speaking, it's either white and black, there's good and bad, there's no middle ground. Spiritually speaking, the influences in your life, whether it is the friends or the family or the talking head on TV, spiritually speaking, the influences in your life will either um, hold up and glorify Christ and point you back to Scripture, or they will start to create doubt and distraction away from Jesus. And how do we live? Well, Jesus tells us. It's part of this, uh, this entire chapter. The farmer went out to sow his seed. And with this warning, and you realize this, you know, pretty much every parable is a statement of law, where he is giving direct guidance on how we ought to live, or direct guidance on from what we ought to repent. And it's sometimes uncomfortable. But the previous parable, the farmer went out to sow his seed. And he still goes. That even if it is a case where you are growing up with bearded Darnell all around you, that Jesus still wants to water you. That even if it is the case that, that weeds would try to crowd out all the minerals and the moisture from the soil around you, that they don't control the water of life. That even if it is the case that, that your particular living situation or your child's choices in life means that they are surrounded by friends who have nothing to do with Christ and who have no knowledge of Scripture or even the, the basic natural tools of dealing with things in a logical, orderly format, even if it is the case, even if it is the case that our children and their generation and one after them are run entirely on emotion with no thought as to what Scripture would say, Jesus still tends and takes care of his wheat. Because weeds aren't stronger than your Savior. And your Savior has planted you in his unchanging word that Peter, Simon Peter, talked about in his first letter, we have this word of truth made more certain. You would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. The one whom our eyes have seen and our hands have touched. He is the one who has planted his word within your heart. And it's not going to let you down. He is the one who has said, dear Christian, your forgiveness is found here. Dear Christian, you can see life with a clarity that isn't the squishiness of the world that says, well, we don't know, and it's all a matter of personal choice. And the Christian can say, you know what, actually we do know. And it's not a matter of personal choice, because we have a Savior who died for sin. He didn't just, he didn't just die for people who were pretty good and, and people who didn't live up to their own moral code. He didn't just die for people who had the wrong opinion. He died for a world, a world where he wants to continue planting his wheat. He died for a world, that means he died for you, and he died for me. And he raised himself from the dead so that you can know that this farmer, this eternal farmer who is your Lord and your Savior, that this eternal farmer wants to carry you all the way through to the harvest. No matter the influences in your life. But the way he does that is by watering your faith 
through his word. And maybe there is some, some element of um, not cloistering ourselves away from the world, but joining together in a Christian community. That's been like the big problem on my mind for uh, probably a month and a half by now. We're about yeah, halfway through July, so about a month and a half. Of how do we as Christians demonstrate the two particular values that make the Christian church unique? How do we as Christians live and act and interact in such a way that says Christianity isn't just eternal life insurance that I'll cash in, and Christianity isn't just what I do on Sundays when I have the time, but my Christian faith is something that impacts every single day of my life because I live in this world that is God's own field. That my Christian faith means that I stand up to confess this faith with my fellow believers, and I have more in common with with them than with anyone and anything ever. That this Christian faith that we share means that we will share an eternity forever, gathered around the throne of the Lamb and singing His praise. That this Christian faith means that we don't have to be worried, scared, or intimidated about the evil that we find in the world, nor offended when Jesus describes it this way. But just to say, you know what, you're right. Whether it is talking about um, talking to your child about that friend. Well, maybe that friend isn't as good of an influence. Maybe that's one attempt, one, one take that you could that you could make. Or maybe, hey, do you want to bring your friend along? I can pick him up for church. Or maybe even somewhere in between, um, as fellow wheat in God's field, striving to understand how do we live in a world of evil? How do we live where the influences around us will try to poison our faith and steal the water from our roots? Maybe it's as simple as, as talking with a loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent, and say, you know what? This is the part that has always stumped me and made me wonder. Have you ever wondered about that? That I don't want our concept of the Christian faith to be simply, this is what you believe, this is how you act, and as long as you check those two boxes and get sufficient attendance, then we're all good. Because that is not a thoughtful Christian faith. That is not the thought of wheat that grows in a field of weeds. But a thoughtful Christian faith can say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. The thoughtful Christian faith might say, you know what, this has always been on my mind, and I haven't admitted to anybody else, but there was a link in the email this week, and I can submit an anonymous question for Q&A Sunday, and uh, I can do that right now. Feel free, go ahead. Why? Because Jesus tells us this parable. He tells us this parable not to, obviously, yes, so we don't wonder about where does evil come from, but he tells us this parable so that we see what evil looks like. Evil is anything and everything that would pull you away from Jesus, distract you from Jesus, take away his glory, and say, there's another way, or it actually wasn't that bad. <clears throat> and Jesus says, you're Christian. As wheat in God's field, we're not just holding on till the harvest. 
in the very hopes that you know, we can hold on by our fingernails until the day that Jesus calls us home to heaven. We're not just mailing it in for the next two decades to say, you know what, um, I can't wait till Jesus takes me home. I say that, I'm not even 40, and then I'm like, but wait a minute, we've got a lot more that we can do here. Because as noxious as bearded Darnell might be, The wheat seed still works. The water of life still works. That, that, that is where the other part where this parable starts to limp a little bit. Because the reality is that God is the one who has given you life. And as long as you have breath, then there is chance. As long as your loved one has breath, there is a chance where the water of life brought to them, or them brought to the water of life, can make a change. Where it looks like maybe that person had been a weed seed for the first seven decades of their life, and put in um, 11 hours, so to speak, if you want to pull for another parable, 11 hours serving the devil. But in that 12th hour, God rescued one more. Because in this field, if it were just wheat, weeds and wheat, it would be a question of, well, which one am I and how can I hang on? But the fact that the living, enduring, active word of God that is sharper than any double-edged sword is the same water of life that gave you life and is the same water of life that changes hearts, that brings the faith, that converts, and that gives life to you and to me. That means that we have a Savior who still wants to save the weeds. the world is God's own field. You are wheat in it. And yes, Jesus warns us about the evil of those around us. But he finishes. He finishes with his one final thought, dear Christian. Make sure that you are well watered with the word. And you see the heart that the master has for those weeds too. Amen.